Do you guys know what May 12th is? Sunday, May 12th? Mama's Day. That would be correct. It's Mother's Day. So let me ask you, do you basically get your mom the same gift every year for Mother's Day? Maybe some flowers, some chocolates, Mm -hmm. maybe a robe or a framed photo. Boring stuff, right? Right. Well, let me tell you about something that's totally cool and different for Mother's Day that will never wilt, spoil, or put an extra 10 pounds around her waist. I'm talking about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty unique. Cool, right? Right. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. Your mom can either type a response to the email or she can record her voice if she prefers to do that or she can do both. And mylifeinabook.com then compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book as well as an audio book. And if you want, and she's up to the task technically, you know, the audio book is a, is a great extra thing to be able to do. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your future generations can treasure. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is kind of your chance to give her a way to share them. Every family is a little bit different. And in my family, we love to give each other a really hard time. So I've taken the approach in doing this of asking my mom to comment on some of those family moments that might be a bit embarrassing to other family members. Last week, my question was, mom, did you feel guilty that day you hit me over the head with your wooden clog and dad had to take me to the hospital for eight stitches? (laughs) Mom's response, back in the day, I was the disciplinarian of the house. And when you were eight years old, you refused to get out of Nancy's, that's my sister's, plastic kiddie pool. I told you 10 times to get out of the damn pool. You didn't listen. So I chased you around the yard. And when you slipped, I nailed you right on the head. That was the last time you got in that kiddie pool. Of course, dad had to lie to the ER and tell him that uh, that you fell on your head, but I nailed you good. The entire process with my life in a book is simple. And in the end, mom will have a great keepsake that can remain in your family for generations. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code RLRC at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code RLRC for 10% off today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash RLRC and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash R-L-R-C. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. You can't afford one. The court will want one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You're running so that's for sure. You're 
warning. This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Oh, y'all going to be getting this one a little bit late today. Normally, it drops at uh, midnight on Tuesday, but mm, shit happens. But it's not Envision Podcast Studios' fault. It's Woody Overton's fault. But you're going to enjoy it anyway. Um, Shout out to Leah Marie for giving me the information on this one. Leah, you rock. And I'm going to name the title of this episode National Serial Killer. So stay tuned at the end of the show for, as always, for Real Life Real Crime Announcements. And hey, y'all, if if you go back and resubscribe through Apple iTunes and you'll get everything that we release, you'll get it downloaded on your phone. They change some stuff, so make sure you do that because you might not be getting the automatic downloads anymore. Just check it and make sure you're still signed up. All right, I'm going to tell you about this dude. And this dude is an original badass, okay? The, uh, Robert Carl Hohenberger. Yeah, he was born in 1943 on May 31st. And, you know, in South Louisiana, certain parts like Morgan City, and this dude's name still scares people who were alive. And it, uh, at least until 1978, or, or who were born uh, at least, you know, by 1978. So Robert Carl Hohenberger, like I said, it's a name that still strikes fear in the old hearts and minds of St. Mary Parish residents who are more than a few decades old. Now, y'all, St. Mary Parish is way down south, and, you know, it's oil country and seafood country and stuff like that. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. So I'm going to skip around because it's a lot that, that, that I need to tell you about this. But Hohenberger uh, was probably the first serial killer ever in Morgan City, Louisiana. Now, again, Morgan City, y'all, it's a big, big uh, oil industry. They serve a, service a lot of the rigs offshore. And short, you know, it's just, or or it's also big in the area of, of Louisiana and seafood and everything else. But the Hohenberger, you know, no one, no one knows what caused him, uh, you know, start killing. But he was a actually a California volunteer police officer, right? And for you know. That's common in serial killer cases. These guys like John Wayne Gacy and stuff, they like have put themselves in public positions and so they can use their authority to get their victims, right? So no one knows what caused this California volunteer police officer to victimize and kill teenagers in Louisiana there. But one thing is for certain, the families of Hohenberger's victims will never know what drove him to come to South Louisiana and choose their loved ones to die in these horrific murders that he committed. But let me tell you about Robert Carl. He is a one-time sheriff's deputy, but, but y'all, check this out. I don't understand this. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, the, the one-time sheriff's deputy was accused of kidnapping a serial rapist and a prime suspect in a series of murders committed against teenagers in Morgan City, Louisiana, between March and May of 1978. 
Now, y'all, that he didn't just start in Louisiana. He started out in California. We'll get to that in a minute. But the FBI was brought in to help the investigation of the killings, and they put Hohenberger on the national wanted list. Okay, But before he got arrested, I guess what the little bitch did? Uh, he committed suicide. But more than more on that to come. But, yeah, y'all, you know, not much is known about Hohenberger in his early years. And he was born in Indiana in 1943. And his family then left the state and they moved to Riverside County, California. And in the mid-1960s, he signed on to be an auxiliary, auxiliary uh, police officer. And, and, y'all, that's like, you know, the part-timers. And it's a voluntary deal and you're unpaid. But... The police departments love to use people like this, you know, to catch the bullshit calls and have a bigger presence on the street and stuff like that. And these are the guys who you normally have a regular job, and they do it um, because they love it and, uh, and they want the action of it, right? But when he was a he was a volunteer cop, y'all, his duties included patrolling the streets in his free time from his um, main job as well as monitoring the protections of citizens' rights and public order, okay? So he's got a badge, and he's helping protect and serve, or so you think. So he used this official position, and he began to carry out attacks on young girls and women. And in 1966, he was arrested on charges of assaulting women. Now, y'all remember um, assault Outside of the state of Louisiana is the unwanted touching in Louisiana. The assault is a threat of. But, y'all, he was arrested on charges of assaulting women who he had raped at gunpoint. Okay? So they take him, they get him, uh, they arrest him, and take his ass to trial. And guess what? He was convicted. But, as in so many cases, you know, some of the charges were later dropped. After a plea deal was made, in which in, um, the plea deal was made because they, it said both parties had reconciled, or and the victim said that she and Robert had made amends, and um, he received a minor sentence and was released two years later. Well, he gets out; he's not hanging around Riverside County anymore. Okay, he moves to Orange County, California, and in 1971. He was arrested in Laguna Beach for kidnapping two more girls at gunpoint, y'all. And guess what? They take his ass to trial, and now this time they got him, right? But, you know, he was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment. But, and I don't get this because I guess it's so long ago, but he's sentenced to life imprisonment, but he had a right to a parole hearing after six months. Now, what kind of fucking sense does that make? It doesn't. But they ship his ass to mm, probably California's worst prison at the time, San Quentin. And by the time 1974 rolls around, which is like three years later, he's he's you know, not letting his time do him. He's doing the time. He's, he's a model prisoner. And he gets transferred from the max security cell block to a cell with less security. And guess what happened? In April of 1974, he escaped from San Quentin, y'all. All right? So, he again, he played nice. He did his shit. And he escapes from San Quentin, just one of the most notorious prisons ever, besides Bloody Angola. But after he escaped, just run and hide and be a good boy? No. He, the first thing he does, he kidnapped 20-year-old Richard uh, Dubois and his wife, Victoria. And look, he, he held him at gunpoint, and he forced him to take him to Modesto, California, where he wanted to go to his friend's house. Oh, well, guess what? He's been down for a moment. And when they get to Modesto, he can't find his friend's house. Right, so then he demands that Dubois take him to Los Banos. Right, while they were refueling the car at a gas station, evidently it's a ways away, or they ran out of gas, or were about to run out of gas. But they're 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 refueling the car, 
and uh, Richard and his wife hauled ass, okay? And, and I, mean, I don't know what this asshole is thinking, but somehow they get away from him, and what do they do? They call 911. And so all the cops come out, and they're looking for him. They know the car that, that Hohenberger's in, and guess what? A few hours later, they found him, and they took him down at gunpoint, they captured him, and they booked him into the local jail, and then he was extradited back to Marion County, um, which is where San Quentin is, y'all. And time goes on, and he is found guilty of escaping from San Quentin, right? So in August of 1977, though, God, I don't understand these fucking timelines. I don't understand how people... You go down for life and you escape, but and, and then still in 1977 he was paroled. Okay, and guess what he did? He went back home to Riverside County. Now, while he's there, he began to commit crimes. Yeah, you know, because he needed money, obviously. And in October 1977, he once again shows his true colors, and he abducts a girl from the Palm from Palm Desert. And then guess what he did, y'all? He beat her and he raped her over and over again. But he left her alive. And the victim survived and she reported that once again the attack to police. So and in the following months, the victim identified Hohenberger after a series of mugshots of sex offenders were shown to her. And guess what? She picks him out of the mug shots, and they get a warrant for his arrest, and they put him on the national wanted list. Okay, back then they didn't have the NCIC computer, National Crime Information computer, where you put it in automatically, and you know you can pull up everything in the world. But they did have a national wanted list, so he's put on that. And guess what? He found out about it. How I don't know. It was like, mm, fuck it. I'm not going to stay in California anymore. And in January of 1978, he hauls ass, okay? And in doing so, when he left California, he escaped the police. And guess where he traveled? All the way to South Louisiana. Now, I don't know how you get from California and pick a town in South Louisiana, other than this would have been during the oil boom, and I guess he figured he could come down here and get work. So he comes down to Bayou Vista, Louisiana, which is a very small town, y'all, um, around Morgan City. And But he starts using the name of Frank Henry Green. Okay? And like I said, the, the offshore business is booming and you know everything's got to be taken care of from the ships to all the pipes that goes offshore and everything else and, and everybody needs hands to work you know you got you got good workers and you got bad workers but Hohenberger finds uh found a job working uh, and living uh, which is common back then y'all have they have man camps in in and if you work in the oil industry, they'll house you, and you work all day long, 12-hour shifts, and you get a hot, three hots and a cot. So, but he found a job at R&M Service Incorporated, which was a supplier for welding equipment. And again, that would have been related to the oil field work. So, you know, he probably, I don't know if they work seven on, seven off, like to do offshore, or 14 on, 14 off, but he had some off time. And so what does he do in his off time? He starts going to Morgan City, which is close to Bayou Vista and was probably the biggest city down there uh, that was close to where he was. And he starts spending his off time in Morgan City, and guess what happened? Five, five teenagers began to uh, actually disappeared from the area, right? Mysteriously. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. So the first young girl to go missing was 16-year-old uh, Mary Lee. Not to fuse with Maria Lee, who gave me the story. But Mary Lee Rotterman, uh, and she disappeared on March the 2nd, 
after going to a store to shop. In a few hours after she disappeared, her parents were called on the phone, y'all. There's no cell phones, no internet, none of that shit, no caller ID. They, her parents get a phone call, and the dude's like, mm, I, got, I got Mary, and I kidnapped her, and I want $5,000 to give her back to you. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? He was like, mm, you don't believe me? So he puts Mary on the phone, and Mary's told her parents, she's like, I've been kidnapped, but I'm okay. And, you know, even though he said don't call the police, they hang up, and the Rodermans call the police immediately. But she was never found, y'all, and and her kidnapper was never found, right? So disappeared in a small, small town. I bet you Morgan City had never had anything like this happen. And time marches on. On April 27th, uh, a 19-year-old by the name of Bridget Cantrell Sons um, and a 17-year-old Gordon Mark uh, Canella, they went missing. Uh, They were at a a grocery store in Morgan City, and there was a robbery that took place, and during the robbery, these two come up missing, Okay. So the police investigate shit out of it, and what did they find? They found um, Bridget's purse and an unfinished cigarette and her car that was in, in, in the parking lot, okay? And it still had her cigarettes in it, okay? So that evidently he robbed a store. He comes out and ducks them from the car. Nothing ever happened, y'all. Didn't find them yet. Then, just a few weeks later, on May the 11th, they had a 15-year-old Judy Adams and 14-year-old Bertha Gold went missing after they attended the Central Catholic High School Fair in Morgan City. Now, look, South Louisiana, you got a fair in every, every town and church fairs and everything else. It's a big part of our culture. And so these two young, beautiful girls, 15 and 14 years old, they go to the fair. They're going to have a good time. You know, look, look, you didn't have kidnappings and shit back then. People were still hitchhiking, and your parents didn't worry about you. I was probably close to their age. You know, your parents didn't worry about you. They just let you go. So, but they came up missing. They didn't come home. And the cops are looking at it, and they're like, mm, they, we think they're runaways, right? But... The further they dug into it, now and you remember they got these other missing kids that already happened. Uh, the further they dug into it, they were like, "Holy shit!" The uh, they found a witness that saw the two girls getting into a car driven by an unknown white man, and but the witness was able to get the license plate, and the cops from the the the, the uh, registration on the car. And the car comes back to a guy named Frank Green, whose identity uh, they they really found by the fingerprints, right? And and the the it just comes up, and and now you know Hovenberger is, uh, is obviously using Frank Green as an alias. So during the uh, police investigation, they they. Find out where Frank Green slash Hohenberger is is living, and they go to his neighbor. It's a guy by the name of Sidney Harris, and he's thirty eight years old. Um, and they they interrogate the shit. I'm like, who lives here? Da 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 da. And he wasn't. He didn't help him at all. He, he played hardball with them, et cetera. And they leave. And guess what? Sidney Harris does. He contacted Hohenberger. Now, remember, there was no cell phones. I don't know how he did it. It must have been face-to-face. But he told him, he said, hey, bro, cops are here looking for you. And they're asking about those two girls. What does Hohenberger do? Again, he runs like a little bitch. So when the cops find out, and they keep, you know, they're going to keep coming back around, et cetera, they find out that Sidney Harris actually warned Hohenberger. Well, 10-15, his ass. They lock him up. And they charged him with accessory after the fact and harboring a fugitive, meaning like he helped him get away. Okay, the um, and then listen to this. This is 1978. 
he was arrested, and they gave him a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bond in nineteen seventy eight. That's like a two hundred and fifty million dollar bond today. But they they had suspicions that he might have helped Hohenberg because it's kind of hard to kidnap two kids and and rape them and do all that stuff. They had suspicions that he he helped Hohenberger or the, uh, whatever his name that he's going by now um, in in the kidnappings and rape of these kids, but they were never able, never able to prove it. But on May the 26th, the body of the two girls, the bodies of the two girls were found in a sewage system of Bayou Vista, not far from where Hohenberger worked. And their bodies tragically showed signs of abuse and strangulation. And again, they were identified as Bridget Sons and Judy Adams. So now... You know, Morgan City is like in, in oh shit mode. Like, we don't have this. This doesn't happen. And now we got other ones that are missing. We just found these two beautiful young girls with broken necks or strangled to death uh, and in signs of, of sexual abuse. But on the very next day, all right, they're in oh shit mode anyway, right? It doesn't happen. Oh shit mode. And on the next day, on May the 27th, Gordon Canella's body was found in a field with a rope tied around his neck, and he had been strangled to death by the rope. Just absolutely very personal crime and one of the worst ways to go. Um, you know, when you strangle someone, you, it goes to the point where they can't breathe naturally and you they get the burst blood vessels in their eyes, petechia hemorrhaging, and that's personal, y'all. I mean, you got to be up close and personal to do this. So now they're in old shit mode. Now they're calling all the cops from surrounding agencies. And now, remember, there was no NCIC computer system. but the, So they're calling all the cops in, the state police in, and everybody, and the volunteers come in. Because you know you got these bodies now, right? And so they all start to look around for more more bodies. Uh, the memory still got these other kids missing. So look, they they searched all the abandoned buildings, in the fields, in the in the woods, and the swamps, and the sewers, uh, in in an attempt to find the other teenagers that were missing. The they even brought out divers, y'all. And, of course, down there, look, in, in Morgan City, it's all you're surrounded by water. If it's not lakes and swamps and this bayous that go out to the Gulf and all that, they bring in the divers, and they search the rivers and the lakes and all the waterways, but never found anything, okay? So now they got Hohenberger again. They know it's him. And they put him back on the prime suspect list, that national wanted list, and all the small towns and the cities that are that are surrounding Morgan City are put on alert, and that would include it by Uvista. So, what does Hurlburger do? He hauls ass. I mean, he knows it's too hot from there. He knows he's got bodies on him, and he jets. Now, this time, he takes that same car that. Came back, registered him from the robbery, and it's a uh, it's a 1970 Valiant, and most of y'all don't even know what that is, but it, that's that's the car he was driving, and he drives all the way across country again, but not to California this time. This time he goes to Tacoma, Washington, all right, and when he's in Tacoma, he. Uh, you know, he was like, fuck it, I don't have any money. I need to sell my car. And, of course, the car had the 1970 Valiant had Louisiana um, license plates. So he puts out an ad in the newspaper. Again, there was no online. There's no Vroom or Vroom.com or any of this shit. So you have to take out an ad in a local newspaper and say, hey, I'm selling my shit. So one of the guys that, that was interested, shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us free samples my allergies are throwing my whole morning off do i sound different to you <laughs> i love that you sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year there bro i sound different to me i feel like i'm in a submarine yeah well have you tried astro it's faster bro oh. all right astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray 
It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Hey, y'all, my wife's biggest struggle this past year was fighting the symptoms associated with menopause, hot flashes, mild mood swings, and sleeplessness. She had them all until she tried Hormone Harmony. She was amazed at how much Hormone Harmony reduced her symptoms and supported her mood and her general well-being. Hormone Harmony is not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it. But it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, Poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. Occasional bloating and gas. No desire to be in bed next to someone, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code RLRC at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RLRC for 15% off today. Sit in the car was a guy named Erling Marvick. But, y'all, Erling Marvick was not only a cop, he was an experienced cop. He was a lieutenant. Now, he had no idea what he was getting into. He just thought it was a great price on the car and he contacts Hohenberger and is like, mm, kind of come look at your shit. Hohenberger's like, yep. So he goes um, over there and looks at the car. And let me back up. Marvick was not, you know, he was very experienced and he was the head of the Tacoma Police Internal Affairs Division, right? So, and it was on, it was a Tuesday that he answered the ad for the used car. And so he, he shows up dressed in plain clothes. It was like me when I worked for the state police, plain clothes, undercover shit. And I was attached to internal affairs, but story for another day. So he he shows up to meet Hohenberger at his apartment. And, and Hohenberger lived in like a shitty uh, section of Tacoma. It was run down, but it's an industrial section. You know, like he he's doing the odd jobs in Morgan City, et cetera. You know, people need workers, right? But he shows up at the shitty apartment in the shitty side of town, and he goes to look at the car. And now he meets Hohenberger, and his spidey senses go off. And he's like, mm, you know, something's not right with this cat. And, um, and he actually said, I felt there was something rather suspicious about the situation. It was a Louisiana car, and Hohenberger was living alone here. And he said, hey, dude, I'm broke. I need, it. I need to sell my car. So Marvick's like, I just knew something was was not right. Something was out of place. So what does he do? The next morning when he goes into work, and all old cops are guilty of this, he used the 
which would have been a brand new computer system at the time, to run Hohenberger's license plate, Louisiana license plate, remember? And, you know, you're not supposed to do that, but fuck it, I, we've all done it. Um, and he gets the printout on the car, y'all, and it comes back registered to Frank Henry Green, which is, I told you that one of the aliases that Hohenberger used in Morgan City. Um, and he had been in Morgan City up until two weeks before when he hauled ass, okay? So Marvick's like, holy fuck. And then they run it, Frank Henry Green, and they, and Hohenberger comes up. Frank Henry Green is one of his aliases. And he's like, holy fuck, this dude's wanted for murder and out of California and kidnappings and, and all this shit. And now he's wanted for all these bodies in Morgan City. You know, he's a fucking serial killer. And remember, serial killers are defined as a person who kills um, two or more people in unrelated incidents. Hohenberger's got like eight, nine bodies on him in 1978, y'all. Okay? Imagine how many more he had traveling cross country that, because he had to set, he, he had, it was sexual for him. He, you know, he kidnapped these girls and he raped them and he murdered them. So how many people do you think he murdered in small town America when he's driving across country in a back cross country um, that these cases are still done solved, right? Because he's transient coming through and it had been almost impossible to solve them. Anyway, so back to Marvin. It's like, holy fuck, I mean, this is a bad dude. So he, he assembles a, a team of uh, plainclothes officers, and they go stake out Hohenberger's apartment. So Marvick is like, okay, everybody's in place, and he said, what am I going to do? I'm going to call this cat and be like, mm, I'm really interested in your car. Can you come back outside and show it to me again? So he gets there, and he knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, bro. You know, I, I'm going to look at the car again. And Hohenberger's all right. So he walks out of the apartment. And when he walks out, May, uh, Marvick gave the prearranged signal to other cops, and they swamp dunk him, right? They come in, and they tackle him, and they go to the ground. Or, or as they're trying to tackle him, he tries to take off running. I'm sorry. And, and they were trying to wrestle him to the ground, and somehow— during the middle of this, all these cops on top of him, bam, the gun goes off, right? And Marvick's is like, fuck, I didn't see a gun. And, uh, um, we were scuffling. We were taking him to the ground, and I, I didn't see a gun. I didn't see a gun. But it turned out that Hohenberger had a twenty two pistol that he was able to pull out while they're taking him to the ground to arrest him, all right? And he shot his own self in the head because he's a little bitch. Now, remember, he's been to San Quentin and everything else, life sentences, but he knows he's going to get the death penalty in the state of Louisiana for the murders that he did. So they're, they're in the oh shit mode. Um, you know, I know they didn't know he was armed, but they're in oh shit mode. They call the ambulance and they take him to St. Joseph Medical Center and they rush him in for surgery uh, for his brain. And, you know, they come out, they get the bullet out and everything, and they put him in recovery. But you know what? There were, he had complications, and he ultimately ended up dying, okay? And during the autopsy, which I've told you all about a thousand times how, they, how that works, um, they uh, were able to determine that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound and, and went into his brain and— it's kind of strange. I've never heard this one before, but the actual cause of death listed on the um, the autopsy report was death by gunshot to avoid arrest. And I don't know if he was going to try to kill all the cops or he just actually did shoot himself, you know, um, whatever. He, he now he's dead as fuck and... It's listed as death by gunshot to avoid arrest. So, and remember though, this dude's on this national warrant list. He's the baddest motherfucker that they've got going. And so, when you get put on that national list, naturally the FBI assigns agents to it, and they're 
the FBI agents in Seattle, which is close to Tacoma, uh, you know, saw all the outstanding warrants that Hohenberger had, which included the first-degree murder and kidnapping charges in Louisiana and the rape and kidnapping and sex perversion charges in California. And I, I would think that term has probably changed by nowadays, but he was a bad dude, right? So, but they had to look into him. Now, this is when the beginning of profiling comes in. They studied these bad guys and their histories and everything, and they try to put together a list of things and match it against other serial killers, and they try to figure out profiles and, you know, shit that makes these guys tick. So they're investigating Hohenberger and everything that he's ever done, and um, they found out that he had been in Tacoma since May or since May the 23rd, and, of course, he was using the alias Frank Harris, which actually is the third alias he had. Uh, and Anyway, he was, he was going around, he was looking for work, using the alias Frank Harris. And the FBI keeps investigating, and, and during the search, uh, they learned that uh, Hohenberger had got an apartment, and in the apartment, there was a 12-gauge shotgun that Hohenberger had stolen stolen from a welding shop where he worked in Morgan City, Louisiana. And he also had several knives. So when he hauled ass cross-country because he knew he was one in Louisiana, he took a shotgun. I don't know where he got the knives from, but they were able to prove the shotgun actually came from that welding shop where he had his job. So... The FBI studies them, and they they list these these things about him. They said uh, all his crimes were that the motive was sex, okay, and the um for the slayings he committed, and, and it was it was all about sex. Uh, the slayings, the murders he committed, it was all about sex, and they found that Hohenberger's entire life since he escaped from prison, he was a drifter. Right, uh, not escape. When they released, remember I told you he got out like six months or some bullshit after he's escaped already, and he goes back in. I don't get that. Um, but anyway, so go back to Louisiana and Morgan City, and it's still small by Louisiana city standards today. the The council, the city council, is all pissed off uh, 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 that this was able to happen. But you got to remember, it's the oil industry. You get all these transients and, and people without education to come down there and they're trying to find jobs in the oil field, which usually pay very well, especially if you don't have an education. So uh, the city council is pissed and they actually pass an order, ordinance requiring all transients. Anybody that come down, came down there looking for a job, they had to register and have their fingerprints taken by the police and this was an effort to discourage the criminal elements from coming down here to look for a job. Okay. So, but no matter how much they investigated y'all, they, the, they couldn't find out what or why Hohenberger did the things he did or what the motives were other than the sex. Okay. Like the the guy that he kidnapped, I don't you know I don't know if he had sex with him, but he was just strangled to death. Remember, he was found separate from the other bodies. But Doug uh, Rotterman remembers the 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 fear and the terror that St. Mary Parish felt that year when Hohenberger had killed the five teenagers, y'all five in a city of just a couple thousand people. And Rotterman said. He remembers that people were scared to death and they wouldn't leave their homes without a weapon and, you know, to go to the school or, or a store or anything without something to protect themselves, whether it's a knife or a pistol or whatever. And so and the same guy, Doug Rodman, was just 17 years old uh, when his little sister, Mary Leah Rodman, had disappeared on her way to the drugstore. Remember, I told you all about her. And so he said... After that night, he never saw his sister again. And guess what, y'all? To this day, her body's never been found. Rodderman, the brother, goes on to say, everybody was pretty much afraid to go out in the evenings. Um, and he said his parents 
uh, moved to Houston soon after uh, uh, Mary Lee's disappearance. And for the three or four months that, that Hohenberger was in St. Mary Parish, it was sheer terror. Another guy, uh, Deval Arthur, who was a St. Mary Parish detective and a police chief in Berwick. Now, Berwick is, is one of those outlying towns for Morgan City, y'all. Again, super, super small. Not common for the police chief to do double duties as a detective and an investigator. And I'd probably, I, I can't, I don't know how many officers they have now, but it's still a very small force. And back then, he's, he might have been the, the lone the lone wolf, if you will. Maybe he had a Barney Fife and did some patrolling. But anyway, he he was the police chief now in the tech, but he had been a policeman before. And he knew what it took to get control of someone, and he he had that advantage. And, and the theory is that Hohenberger was using his California police badge to lure these unsuspecting teenagers in, right? Hey, showing him a badge out the one day, say, come on, get in the car, take a ride, whether he threatened him or whatever he did, um, he did it. And and Deval Arthur is one that came up. He's like, hey, this guy had a badge, and he had to be getting these kids in the vehicle somehow. And he was like, mm, I'm pretty sure that he used his badge to get him in a car, um, and, and, and then he raped and murdered him, right? And Deval said, he wasn't one of those that would hide what he did. He was very public, meaning Hohenberger was just fucking out the box, and uh, um, he wasn't he wasn't a tree jumper, if you will. He was, you know, someone who used that authority, or at one point uh, authority that he had, but he just did it in broad daylight, and that is witnessed by the people that actually saw him get those kids in the car. And, y'all, there's a bunch, a bunch of stuff on this guy. I'd never heard of him, um, but he's a badass. Let me read you the this article, and it's pretty cool. That, uh, it's about what happened to Hohenberger in the end, and it's dated Thursday, June the 1st, 1978, and by Aiken Standard. And it says, big, big title says, Police Find Fugitive While Answering Ad. And it says, Tacoma, Washington. Police Lieutenant Erlen Marvick, shopping for a second car, answered a newspaper ad for a 1970 Valiant. Instead of buying a car, he found himself scuffling with an armed fugitive wanted on murder, rape, and kidnap charges. Robert Carl Hohenberger, wanted in Louisiana and in California, died late Wednesday of a bullet wound received during his arrest earlier in the day. Police said Hohenberger shot himself in the head with his own twenty-two revolver. Earl Averill, a spokesman for St. Joseph's Hospital, said Hohenberger lived for about two and a half hours after doctors operated to remove bullet fragments from his brain. Marvick, head of the Tacoma Police Internal Affairs Office, said he answered an ad on Tuesday for a used car. Dressed in street clothes, Marvick, who had not identified himself as a policeman, visited the apartment where Hohenberger lived in the commercial industrial section of Tacoma. I felt there was something rather suspicious about the situation, Marvick said Wednesday. It was a Louisiana car. He was living alone here. Said he was broke. I just thought something must be out of place. Marvick ran a computer check on the car Wednesday morning and found it was registered to Frank Henry Green, an alias used by Hohenberger in Morgan City, Louisiana, where he did odd jobs from December until he disappeared about two weeks ago. Marvick returned to the apartment Wednesday to arrest Hohenberger, bringing with him several plain enclosed police who waited out of sight while he approached the apartment. I told him I wanted to take a look at the car once more. He walked out of the apartment. I give a pre-range signal, and others came in, said Marvick. I told him he was under arrest. He looked around and tried to run, tried to make a break. I grabbed him, wrestled him to the ground, and the gun went off. The lieutenant said he had not seen the gun before the scuffle, but knew from the teletype reports 
that the man was probably was armed with a twenty two revolver. FBI agent Ray Mathis in Seattle said warrants outstanding against Hohenberger, who's 35, included first-degree murder and kidnapping charges in Louisiana and rape, kidnap, and sex perversion charges in California. Hohenberger, a drifter originally from Indiana, was sought nationwide after the bodies of three teenagers were found in Morgan City late last week. Two in a cylindrical septic tank and another buried about five miles away. Hohenberger was wanted on charges of kidnapping and raping a California co-ed late last year, shortly after he was paroled from a California prison. He has served several terms for assault convictions. Hohenberger was working at a Morgan City welding shop under the name of Frank Green when he disappeared after two girls were abducted from a shopping center on May the 11th. Robert Carl Hohenberger, y'all. I I can guarantee you he was the first serial killer ever in St. Mary Parish. And her prayers go out. I mean, it's been, what, 78, 88, 98, 2018. It's been like 26 years or 25 years in... I'm sure if y'all, if you're a family member of one of these victims and you're listening, I just want you to know, I hope some prayers go out to y'all. Hohenberger, a fucking monster. And a fine example of how you slip through the cracks and you, you get arrested for these charges and they get downgraded and you get arrested again. Since the San Quentin, you escape and, and do more charges and go back. I just fucking don't get it. But I had never heard of Hohenberger, and thank you again, Leah Marie. I think it's very interesting. I've worked extensively in these areas with the state police, and we'll get to those stories one day. And it's just horrible. So first serial killer ever in St. Mary Parish, at least that on record. Um. And I'm going to conclude this series, and I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. One of the, um, Convicts and Patrons, you just got your latest bonus episode released yesterday called Accidental? Question mark. I hope you enjoyed it. It was just some shit that I had on my head. Um, I've been thinking about, you know, I know it's a lot of stories mixed into one, but I hope you enjoy it, and I appreciate your support so much. If you want to become a uh, Patreon or convict, y'all. It's the same thing. It's a, or an Apple subscriber. Thank you too. Uh, um, it's a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and look up Real Life Real Crime. And we have a bunch of different tier levels of support where you get a bunch of free stuff. And of course, you get early, uh, except for this one, early commercial commercial free episodes, which you'll still get. And then you get the bonus episodes, which are locked up. I probably have like 20 of them now. If you like real life crime originals, the old cop stories, and, uh, you know, just a bunch of other stuff. And the convicts are the same thing. There are subscribers through the real life real crime community app. Y'all, if you want to send me a message, send it to me there first, please, because I have all this other social media that sometimes I only get to check for a week or two in uh, all these different messages. And I try to answer everyone that sends me something, okay? Because I love and appreciate all of y'all. But Convicts is the same thing as Patreon, but it's just through our app. And you can get your yearly discounts and stuff like that. And there's different tier levels. Uh, Convict being my affectionate term. Those subscribers. So go check it out. But in the app, y'all, is everything real life, real crime, from our merch store to stories to chat groups and games. And you, you can imagine it. It's there, updated on cases and everything else, a lot more than you get on any of my other social media pages. TikTok, I hadn't even been posting on that in a couple of weeks, but I'm about to really kick it up to the next level. Um, so y'all check out and, and follow me on TikTok at um, Real Life Real Crime. And 
remember, you got to go. I hate to do this because we've been building this for six years, but every once in a while, the podcast industry changes shit up, and it's all—it's never to the advantage of the podcaster. It's always so they can make more money through the commercials and all that. And unfortunately, it's a business. But make sure you resubscribe wherever you listen to Real Life Real Crime, the podcast, or Real Life Real Crime Daily, or uh, just whatever app you use. Scroll up and make sure that you're subscribed or re-hit the uh, subscribe button because if you don't, they're kicking everybody out and making us all start over again. But I want you to do it so you will always get the drop downloaded to your shit um, before you know, you know, before you read about it. Right? If you're not subscribed, then then you, then you can't get it. Uh, but anyway, check that out. And oh, other things. You know, we still got a lot of big stuff coming, y'all. Yeah, go check out Bloody Angola, that um, the podcast Jim Chapman and I do. It drops every Thursday. We won best for the first time. We were nominated, and we won best history podcast in the world for that. Very different than Real Life Real Crime. Go check it out. Real Life Real Crime Daily drops four days a week. It's me and Mike and Jim. Uh, doing the new stories and everything else, pretty funny shit, pretty serious shit. Um, go check it out in Lopa, Louisiana, Oregon Procurement Agency. Y'all know it's my jam. People become an organ donor, okay? They're a nonprofit. They help these families. They help other people uh, be the recipient of organ transplants. Um, they save lives every day. And every organ donor, everybody that signs up as an organ donor is a hero. And the chances they're ever going to use your shit are slim to none. But you don't, if you're a lifer from India, uh, India, you don't have to be from Louisiana. You can go to lopa.org, sign up to be an organ donor. It takes about two minutes. And then you can give the gift of life and sight and all that other great shit that they do. And I'm Woody Overton, your host for Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? When the wolf is at your door, you run in zone, that's for sure. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer.
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.